Thank you for being with us today. We would love to have you join us in person. To partner with us or to give online, go to www.upperroomohio.com. We hope you enjoy this message. I'm going to welcome up Josh. Josh. My gosh. These guys were on vacation. Yes, come on. We would not all be healthy people if it weren't for him, right? These guys were on vacation all week, and he said yes to speaking today. So that's a really huge sacrifice. And so you better listen to him. And I'm just so thankful they're back because... When they're gone, I feel like I don't know what to do with life. And so these guys are amazing. So, all right. Thanks, Nicole. Uh, it's glad, glad to be back. I am going to uh, continue a series that was started uh, a few weeks ago called If My People. So I wanted to dig into this, and um, I'm getting hungry, so I won't take too long. <laughs> Um, this whole series we've been handing off, this will be the fourth week of it. We took a week off last week because Scott and Lacey were here. But um, this whole series is based on 2 Chronicles 7.14. And this is what it says. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. So we've broken this up into several different parts, and each of us have taken a different week for it. So this is how we've broken it up. Week one was Aaron, and he took If My People Who Are Called By My Name, and that was all about identity, who we are. We are his people. We are called by his name. The next week, um, Aaron took... Um, will humble themselves. That was all about humility, not thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to. And then two weeks ago, Nicole took um, and pray and seek my face. It was all about seeking, going after the Lord, pursuing him. I get this week. I get and turn from their wicked ways. Isn't that exciting? <laughs> they did set me up, Kenny. <laughs> and then Aaron's going to wrap things up next week. Then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and will heal their land. And um, so you probably, I think you all noticed my part, and turn from their wicked ways. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I can tell by the way you laugh, the first thing that you notice in that phrase is wicked. <laughs> right? That's the first thing I noticed, and I'm thinking, as, as Aaron asked me to teach it, and I saw which section I was going to get, I'm thinking, Aaron, I'm the pastor. You're not supposed to give the past. The pastor is supposed to speak words of comfort. This is a good verse for an evangelist to tell you how terrible you are so you can turn away from your wickedness, okay? But as I thought about it, I realized um, as God inspired this verse... I don't think his focus was on wicked. I think his focus was on turn. And I think that's what this is about. We can recognize that there's, there's some wickedness, wickedness going on in the world. We can sit around, we can talk about that and get all depressed. 
Or we can recognize there's an opportunity to turn. And that's why we're here today. That's what this is all about. And that's where I want to take this. But um, for most of us, when we talk about turning from your wicked ways, most of us will fit into one of two camps. One camp is, I'm not wicked. I'm not the wicked witch of the West. I haven't done anything that bad. So this sermon's probably not for me. Well, I'll have something to say to you. Don't worry. Or you're in the other camp, you're like, I'm really wicked. I am so wicked. You just don't even know how wicked I am. And if you knew what I thought about, you'd really know how wicked I am. Well, I have something for you today, too. So um, let me, before I get into that, I want to explain the idea of sin. Okay, I can't really talk about wicked if I don't talk about sin, because sin is really what we're talking about with wickedness. Now, um, a year or so ago, a man named Jamie Van Gelder came here from uh, Minnesota, and he's visited several times and made wonderful deposits. One of the things that he recently deposited to us was the idea of exactly what sin is, okay? So the, the, the idea of sin is basically missing the mark. So if we imagine that, like, that there's a perfect bullseye, walking a straight path to God, following him well, hits the exact perfect center of that bullseye, okay? That is, there's no sin. You have not missed the mark. But any little bit off of that bullseye, any little bit is missing the mark. That's what the definition of sin is. So if, if you miss a little bit, if, if you're aiming and, and say the, the bullseye is at the back door and you're just off an inch, you've sinned. You've missed the mark. Or if you aim the exact opposite direction and you fire your arrow the exact wrong way, you've missed the mark totally. But either way is missing the mark. Either one is sin. Okay? That's what we're talking about. But I can't talk about sin if I don't talk about another word that we talk, we say a lot in church, which is repentance. Okay? I'll get a little more into that later, but repentance basically means we are adjusting to hit the mark. Okay, if I break the word down, re, go back, pent to the top, like a penthouse apartment, go back to the top, go back to God's perspective on things. Okay, so whatever direction we're going, if we were a little off of God's perspective or if we were shooting the opposite direction, way off of God's perspective, repenting means we adjust so that we hit the mark square on, dead in the center of the bullseye. That's what we're going after today. But in, in order for me to get there, I've got to get you a little depressed first. I've got to tell you how bad things really are, okay? Or at least were. So um, this scripture that we're talking about, we're talking about um, King Solomon. And this is, uh, this is what it says. Um, when Solomon had, had finished the temple of the Lord... Um, back up, let me mention something about Solomon. You need to know who this guy was. This is King Solomon um, in 1 Kings chapter 10, 23. It says, King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. Okay, so this is King Solomon. King Solomon was like Albert Einstein and Bill Gates wrapped into one. Okay, like pure genius and unlimited resources. Okay? God had blessed him in every direction. And then to really understand where this is coming from, we've got to zoom out to the full context of Scripture. This is 2 Chronicles verse 7. 
says, when Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and had succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and in his own place, the Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have chosen, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. Okay, so understanding the full context, Aaron covered this in week one. But basically, King David had this desire in his heart to build a temple to glorify the Lord. But the Lord said, you have blood on your hands. You are a man of war. We need a man of peace. So your son will be the one to build a temple. Okay? Now, in this context, Solomon had focused and done everything he could and finished the temple. This is the time. All of their goals had been met to build this temple. So God shows up to him. And I bold, the Lord appeared to him at night. This is God. Showed up to him at night, appeared to him. God in person. Appeared to Solomon. That's what scripture says. Appeared to him at night. And this is what God then said. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people... If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. That's the context, the closer context of what was going on, is God shows up to to Solomon and tells him, this is what I'm going to do. If people will humble themselves and turn... I will heal the land. So the wisest guy of all time, the richest guy of all time, God shows up to him directly and tells him this. Now here's the depressing part. He didn't do it. It didn't work. Okay? This is what happened. This is 1 Kings 11, 9 through 11. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, Since this is your attitude, and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your subordinates. Israel over and over again showed this tendency. And if it wasn't bad enough, Solomon... In his wisdom, Solomon, with his resources, Solomon, God shows up to him, still fell. He still did not humble himself and turn to the Lord. But if that doesn't make it worse, Israel followed the same path. This is uh, 2 Kings 25, 8 and 9. On the seventh day of the fifth month in the 19th year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan commander of the imperial guard, an official of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He set fire to the temple of the Lord, the royal palace, and all the houses of Jerusalem. Every important building he burnt down. Did you get that? That temple that they built, that temple that that right after they built it, God appeared to Solomon and said, if my people will humble themselves. They didn't humble themselves. That temple got burnt down. That temple got burnt to ashes. And so I start thinking, this is where I go. 
if the wisest man that ever lived, who had the most resources that ever lived, had God show up in person to him and tell him, this is what you need to do, and he still didn't do it, what hope do I have? <laughs> All right, good sermon. All right, you guys can go home now. <laughs> no, there's more to the story, okay? It's going to get better. Don't worry. See, we have a few advantages that Solomon didn't. And we have to take advantage of those things. We have to look at those things and recognize those things. The first thing is that we have is we have some hindsight. We can look at what he did and learn from it. Okay? So here's some of the mistakes. Um, here's some of the mistakes that Solomon made. Assuming that our own wisdom is enough. It doesn't matter how wise you are. Solomon knew how things worked. He saw. He could, he could use information and he could turn it into something amazing. You look at some of the exploits of the things he did, it was pure genius the way he would do things. But it doesn't matter how wise you are if you use your wisdom outside of God. Because this is what happened. This is The foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. 1 Corinthians 1.25. If you don't partner your gifts with him, you'll wind up relying on your gifts, and at some point they will fall short. Your gifts will be selfish. The, um, the next couple of... of points that I want to make, I, I need to give credit here. This is from a, a book that I've read recently called The Invitation by Tony Stoltzfus. I got the ideas from this. I have recently gotten into uh, uh, receiving some life coaching. Um, I uh, have recognized that there's some areas I'd like to grow in my life, and I'm usually the guy that people come to for help here, and so who do I go to? I want to go to somebody who's, who can kind of give me some wisdom and insight and look at things from the outside and ask questions like, why do you do it that way when we're all used to doing it that way and we never even thought there was another way to do it? So I have, I've gone to, to this man who's a disciple of, of Tony Stoltzfus, and this book has really blown my mind with some of the ways of thinking that it's brought on how we do things. And so um, the next two things, the next two points I want, I want to make have to do with this. Here's the second issue that Solomon had. Making following of the rules for living in God's will uh, the same thing as walking in God's will. There's a difference between following the rules and walking in God's will. See, we tend to think of things as we're walking down a path and you've got two ways to go. Do I do the, the right thing or the wrong thing? We tend to carry that over in everything. Now, some things is definite right and wrong, okay? But many things, we are always thinking, God, what is your will? What am I supposed to do? Okay? Example I like to use, let's say that you have this wonderful house that you own, okay? Just down the road from your church. And you've, you've built it, you've got memories there, but all of a sudden, this opportunity just down the road of this other house that has a lot of history, you've got some prophetic insight, God gives you this opportunity to go and move over to this other house. And you move into this house, and it's got bats in it. It's got mice in it. It's got all these issues that you didn't anticipate before. 
and you choose to go to this other house. And you're wondering, God, did I make the wrong decision? Did I do the wrong thing? And God's not looking at it that way. 90% of the decisions we make, he's not saying do the right or wrong thing. He's saying pick a choice and take me there with you. If you take him there with you, you've made the right choice. If you don't, you can do all the right things and you'll be dead wrong. And so you move into to this, this house and you're wondering why you're there. And he's, he's there saying, thank you for bringing me here with you. Thank you for taking me into this. Here's a, a quote that Tony Stolzfus has in the book. That's, this one blew my mind. Any right decision or discipline change that makes us less dependent on Jesus is failure. And every fall and broken action that ends up drawing us to him becomes a success. You can do the right thing, and if it doesn't draw you to him, it's a waste. You can do the wrong thing, and because he's good, he'll take you through it, and he'll turn it into something amazing. But don't try to do things without him, because that's what Solomon did. He relied on all the wisdom he had, and he figured, this will work out, because my brain is so big, I can get it all figured out. I don't need to rely on God. Another mistake that we often come to is thinking that our desires are bad. So we have, maybe I come in and I have this desire for recognition. And I think, I should be humble. I shouldn't want recognition. Well, the truth is, God put that desire in me to be recognized. The problem is, I want to be recognized by Him and I don't realize it. And so I try to push down that need to be recognized. I try to push it aside and pretend like I shouldn't need that when I'm, I'm starving. I need that recognition. I just don't need it from everybody else. I need it from him. So every desire, every need that we have, when it boils down to it, should draw us to him. We shouldn't push away those desires. We shouldn't pretend like they're not there. We should take those to him and say, Jesus, I really desire these things. How can, you, how can you be that source for me? And when you boil it down, it's not like I desire wealth or I desire fame or those kind of things. I desire to know that I prosper in you, Jesus. How are you going to show me that I prosper in you? Maybe he'll pour some wealth out on me or maybe he'll just show me, you know, I'm a prince and I don't have to worry about those things. Maybe he'll give me recognition among men, but if that's my source... Anytime I step off the stage and I don't have recognition anymore, I'm going to feel empty. <clears throat> There's a, a, another mistake that, that goes along with that is trying to meet our desires through something other than Jesus. So desires aren't bad, but any desire that we have, if I put somebody or something in the place of that desire, if my desire for peace is I expect Angie to bring that to me, then she has a bad day. I no longer have peace. So now she is controlling whether my desires are met or not, and that's not healthy. Now, God can use her and often does to bring those things, but ultimately I need to turn to him to get those desires met. Now, think about Solomon. He had unlimited resources. He could try everything but Jesus. He could try anything else but God to meet his needs. He could exhaust everything. And so 
Solomon is a picture of what happens to a life of a person, of a man, who has everything, all the wisdom, all the resources, but loses his relationship with God. Then you wind up writing things like Ecclesiastes, where it says everything is meaningless. Well, that's why it says it. It's not because God wants you to believe everything is meaningless. That's not what that scripture means. It's a picture of what it looks like to have everything, but not have, not have the Lord. Even good things can take the place of Jesus. I found in my own life, through the, actually through my life coach, I would often overwork myself because I wanted to feel valuable and because I was afraid that if I trusted other people to take care of things, I would be disappointed and then I might not trust God and I would lose my faith. So I was trying to protect my faith by overworking myself. That's not healthy. Okay? I'll let Jesus defend my faith. I'll let him take it. I'll bring it to him. Another mistake that we often make is believing that suffering means we are doing something wrong. You can minister without suffering. You just won't do it the way Jesus did it. Now, I'm not saying that we should pursue suffering because Jesus endured the cross. He did not enjoy the cross. Okay? He wasn't trying to say, you know, how can I suffer some more? But he accepted and realized that that was part of it. And if you think that it's just because Jesus died and paid the price, we no longer have to suffer at all anymore, well, that day is coming, but we're in the, the now and not yet part of that. Because after Jesus, all of the apostles suffered. This is a list of all of the apostles who suffered, which is all 12 of them, including uh, the one that replaced Jesus, or Judas. Um, all of them were martyred ex except for John the Beloved, who died in exile for his faith. In fact, you know, Peter was crucified upside down because he did not consider himself worthy to die the same death of his Lord and Savior. And so we cannot measure suffering as a sign that we're doing the wrong thing, which we often do. We can't say, well, my relationships are struggling, or uh, my finances are struggling, or I didn't get the house, didn't turn out the way that I wanted it to, and, and say that's a sign that there's something wrong. If I will go through the suffering with Jesus, he'll show me things. And so I'll ask him questions like, Jesus, my kids are walking away from, from me and, and away from you. What does it feel like to you to have your kids walk away from you? And how do you deal with it? Jesus, how did you deal with it when people didn't take you seriously and made fun of you and mocked you? Because I'm feeling that right now. Any kind of suffering that you go through, anything that is not for you to sit and dwell on the suffering, is for you to take it to Jesus and say, Jesus, you went through this. How did you deal with it? And how can you help me deal with it? The other huge thing that we have that King Solomon didn't was, is Jesus. Jesus paid the price for our sins. So now when I say turn, it's no longer turn away from your wicked ways only. It's turn toward Jesus. We have something to turn toward now. Okay? It, isn't, it isn't just stop doing bad things. It's partner with him. 
Stop thinking about whether you're doing right or wrong and start thinking about whether you're walking with him as you're doing this. It'll be hard to do a lot of wrong things if you're walking that way with him. He broke a curse that we don't even understand Solomon and the people of his day lived in. The land, the people, we ourselves have a direct communication with God because of Jesus that Solomon never knew. Solomon's recorded of having two conversations with God. We can talk to him anytime we want. We talk to him so much, I talk to him so much, I take it for granted sometimes. But that's something that, that he paid the, the price for. The other thing that, that, that we have that Solomon doesn't is Holy Spirit. Now the law is written in our hearts. Now those things, when we need wisdom, when I, when I am not as wise as Solomon, I can ask the Lord for wisdom. When I don't have the resources, my father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And so I can turn to him, and he will speak. He will give me wisdom. He'll show me things. But we can't really turn from our wicked ways if we do not partner with the Holy Spirit to do it. Because turning includes turning toward Jesus. Here's, a, here's an example of a uh, Holy Spirit from Galatians 3, 2 through 5. This is from the Passion Translation. I really like how it's written. So answer me this. Did the Holy Spirit come to you as a reward for keeping all the Jewish laws? No, you received him as a gift because you believed in the Messiah. Your new life in the Anointed One began with the Holy Spirit giving you a new birth. Why then would you so foolishly turn from living in the Holy Spirit by trying to finish by your own works? Have you endured all these trials and persecutions for nothing? Let me ask you again, what does the lavish supply of the Holy Spirit in your life and the miracles of God's tremendous power have to do with you keeping religious laws? The Holy Spirit is poured out upon us through the revelation and power of faith, not by keeping the law. Stop trying to do the right thing and start walking with the right one. Now, I know some of you are still thinking, yeah, but I keep doing the wrong thing. So what am I supposed to do? Okay, well, I've got some steps for you. These are steps to repentance. Remember, repent. Go back to God's perspective on things. So here are a few things, very practical tips I want to give you. When you recognize that you're totally in the wrong, you're going the wrong way, step one is figuring out what is the real problem, okay? So if I get angry a lot, my problem is not that I get angry. The problem is maybe I don't feel like I have control. Or maybe I'm embarrassed. Or maybe I have some other desires that are not getting met. Now I need to go deal with that because the anger is a symptom. If I can discipline myself out of, out of it, then I probably am not dealing... Um, with as deep an issue. But if it's a deep issue that keeps coming up, there's probably something going on with that that I need to deal with. And I actually probably has some lies that I need to confront. Like I'm not valuable, I'm not important. Um, I, should be, I should have more recognition than other people. May I suggest a sozo session to help you deal with those lies? That's what we're about in that. Then the next question in repentance. Who has been affected by it? So what I did probably affected some people. I need to recognize all the people that were hurt by whatever I did. 
And then the third step, which has some sub-steps to it, what are you going to do to clean up the mess? Because the issue is not whether you messed up. The issue is how well you clean up the mess that you made. So sub-step one is, I'm sorry for what I did. Second, this is how I see that it hurt you. Then, this is the problem I've identified in myself. This is what I'm going to do to work on that problem. And then I don't demand your forgiveness, but I am asking for it. When you recognize that, when you recognize all of the people that have been affected, that is how you turn. That is how you go. Then the fourth part is you may need help cleaning up the mess. You might have gotten into something you have no idea how to clean this up. Ask people to help you. Seek Holy Spirit to help you figure this out. Don't try to clean everything up on your own. It's okay to partner with other people. And then lastly, when will you finish cleaning up the mess? Not like, you know, eventually I'll get to it. I know I should turn and repent. Actually, make a plan. Decide how soon you're going to get to it. Now, for those of you who feel like you haven't done anything wrong, let me they feel like you have no wickedness in you at all. Let me remind you, sin is missing the mark. If even if you missed it by a millimeter, it is still missing the mark. So I want you to ask yourself, is there any way that you're going in your life that you have not gone with Jesus? You could even be doing the right things. It's the picture that Jesus gives of the rich young ruler it's this guy who's endless, he has a you know, very wealthy man, and he goes to Jesus, he says, I followed the rules, I've done everything right, what else should I do to be justified? And Jesus says, well, you've done everything well, but let me tell you what else you can do is you can go sell all of your things, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And the ruler says, uh, no thank you, I'll just keep following the rules, okay? That's what Jesus, for, for, for the rich young ruler, it was not about money. It was about, was he going there with Jesus? And he realized, Jesus pointed out a direction he was going without him, that he was not following him. But even a wrong choice can be redeemed if you will go there with Jesus. He can turn everything. He can win with a pair of twos. He can turn everything into good. So I want to invite the band to come up. We're going we're gonna to close here. And I want to ask you guys if you'll stand up with me. Go ahead and, and hold your hands out. This is going to symbolize two things, okay? One is I am letting go of things that I shouldn't be carrying, especially things I'm carrying without you. And two is... I expect you're going to trade up. Jesus always trades up. When you offer him a trade, when you give him something, he always gives you something better in return. So if Jesus ever offers to trade with you, you always say yes, because it's going to turn out really good for you. Okay? So Jesus, we affirm. We are your people. We are called by your name. And we come before you humbly choose to seek you and seek your face and right now we purpose to turn from anything that we haven't been doing with you 
Lord, highlight any areas that we can turn toward you in our lives. And if there are those of us who have never turned to Jesus, let today be that day. If you have never turned your life toward him, I want to invite you this morning, this afternoon now, to come and give your life to him. You can come up front. I'd be happy to pray with you. Or you can go to somebody that you know is a believer and say, I want to give my life to Jesus and let this be your first and biggest turn. Jesus, we choose to turn toward you. We embrace you. Set us back on track. Let us not think in terms of right and wrong as much as are we with you or are we not with you. What are you doing? Where are you going? Sometimes you're saying, just make a choice and take me with you. And sometimes you're saying, no, you need to go this way because the other ways won't work out for you. But everything we do, we choose to do with you. Holy Spirit, we ask you to empower us to walk forward. We bless everybody here to walk in power in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to bless you guys. I hope you have a great Sunday. Take, take Holy Spirit with you wherever you go and let people know about it. Make him more and more famous. Have a great day.